This is What Book Hooked You? I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. On this episode, the first one of 2019, I have Mimi Yule, whose debut, The Girl King, comes out on January the 8th. So Mimi and I talk about uh, writing, how she got into wanting to write books, uh, some of her inspiration, and the writing of The Girl King. So listen in. So Mimi, what book hooked you? I've actually been a reader for a very long time. Like I started reading at a pretty young age. Um, and I think because uh, I was raised for all intents and purposes as an only child, I have an older brother, but he's like 18 years older than mm-hmm. me. So, uh, you know, I was I was the only kid in the house uh, sure. my whole childhood. So I, I think, you know, just one of the ways that my parents kind of uh, kept me occupied was providing a lot of books and then kind of letting me just look at them until I, you know, figured out how to read. One of those very early books uh, that's quite like formative in my mind uh, was this book of Korean fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents are uh, first generation immigrants from Korea. And uh, I, you know, I don't actually know where this book came from. It definitely wasn't, you know, it didn't belong to them. They grew up in like the fifties. So, um, you know, it, it wasn't that old, uh, but it might've been like a hand me down from my cousin or something. And uh, it included um, these two fairy tales in particular that I always think of. One, I think, is called The Rabbit and the Dragon King. Um, it centers around a bunny rabbit and a uh, turtle. And the turtle is, like, on an errand from, like, the king of the ocean, the dragon king, I guess. Uh, and he's trying to get the rabbit to come with him down into the ocean because, unbeknownst to the rabbit, uh, the king needs to eat the rabbit's heart to survive. And the second fairy tale that uh, I, I think of is The Heavenly Maiden and the Woodcutter, uh, which is a, you know, it's funny when you look back at these these childhood like fairy tale stories that are, you know, pre-modern or they came from like a much earlier era. A lot of them are, are quite like upsetting. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and this one was about, um, you know, this, this woodcutter who uh, he rescues a deer one day in the forest and um, because he rescues the deer, the deer gives him like the lowdown on where these, uh, these like sort of goddess type maidens from the sky um, bathe every day. And so he goes to where they're bathing and he steals like one of their dresses. And so, uh, you know, all the other sky maidens take off because they see him. And the one whose clothes he stole, she can't leave because I guess her clothes maybe give her the ability to fly. And uh, he marries her, and then they have kids, and it's a whole thing. But, um, yeah, so those two very upsetting stories are are kind (laughs) of, like, the first stories I remember, like, the primordial, like, gunk that I came up in. Yeah, so I kind of, like, um, was thinking about, you know, what books influenced me, and I feel like I couldn't pin it down to one but I feel like I had these sort of like influences through different um age age ranges in my life um and then the next one two of your guests previous guests have mentioned this uh before I think Adiv and then uh Corinne both of them mentioned Animore the series Mm, Animore you know I, I was a huge reader all through elementary school and in the middle school um my mom first generation immigrant um agenda to make me a good student would just borrow stacks of books from the library for me. 
So uh, I think by the time I was in middle school, she was kind of trying to encourage me to read like the classics. Like um, mm-hmm. she bought me Wuthering Heights and Crime and Punishment and very mysteriously Ulysses. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I kind of um, my interest had had really been formed, I think, by a lot of the earlier um, like young adult and middle grade books that she had gotten from the library for me at a younger age. And so um, you know, I came across. The Animorphs, which I think everybody born within like three or four years of me mm-hmm. uh, probably saw the series sure, at least sure. in the grocery store in Walmart or whatever, because uh, they had those really striking covers. Right. Um, and so I became really fixated on these uh, maybe when I was like 12 or 13, and it was like just on the verge where, uh, you know, there was, my mom was like, okay, those are like kind of outside your reading level, like let's, let's you know, not read those. Um, but I was totally hooked on them, and I just absolutely loved the story. So, uh, you know, when we would go shopping, she would leave me at, like, the Borders or the Barnes & Noble, and I would sit in the confectioner and just, like, read through as many animorph books as I could um, before she was done shopping because I wasn't actually allowed to buy them. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, with books uh, being such an important part of your younger life and, you know, and and really kind of, uh, given to you by your parents and encouraged to read. At what point did the aspect of of writing come in, uh, where you were interested in kind of creating your own stories in some way? Yeah, um, you know, it's funny. I uh, really remember actually the first time I like made a book as a kid. Like, I think I was probably mm, like four or five. Like, mm. this is like. Right around, I, I think it must have been around kindergarten age because I was able to do, you know, very basic writing, but a lot of it was like illustration heavy. Sure. Um, and I have this book, which I don't remember the name of, but uh, I think my mom got it at like a library sale, you know, where they like um, yeah, yeah. sell you the discounted books for like a nickel or whatever, right. or the, the discarded books for a nickel. And uh, it was about this um, like boy bunny, like an anthropomorphic bunny, I think. He found a stray dog. Uh, the dog was like dog sized as compared to him, which is to say like smaller than him. Um, so the world building was a little bit hazy on this, <laughs> in this book, um, which is maybe why it ended up in the discard pile. But uh, the uh, dog, like he, he dressed it up to look like, you know, he was wearing people clothes. And so he brought him home and tried to pass him off as a friend because his parents didn't want him to have a dog. Um, and so I basically made a scene by scene, like replica of this book or retelling of this book, sure. um, except the main characters were, I think a girl rabbit and a cat. And, 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 you know, in the book, I think somehow like it was implied that both the main character and the dog were boys. And I, I just made a gender species watch, you know, version of that book. <laughs> So it was basically like your own little like fan fiction way back when you were four and five. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it it sort of reflected a um, a desire that kind of carried through the longer trajectory of like my my um, creative work and and sort of the things that I was interested in, just in terms of like okay, I like the con- conceit of this book, but I want to like make it more about me. Sure. Um, which is I think it's you know pretty typical a feeling that that kids have and i think you know at the time uh being like an asian girl um definitely didn't see anyone who looked quite like me in in my books but um 
I think, you know, at the time I was mostly thinking of it through like a gender lens sure. and also I preferred cats to dogs. Right. And so then uh, when you kind of uh, got more into young adult age, uh, high school, things mm-hmm. like that, uh, did books, did writing still kind of hold uh, the same amount of value? Were you still a he- uh, heavy reader? Were you still kind of creating your own stories or have any interest in that at that time? Uh, I did, you know, but I feel like at, at high school age, there was this weird uh, period, like a sort of transition period where, um, you know, I kind of mentioned this earlier when I was talking about Animorphs, um, you know, the, the sort of books that I was being encouraged to read were very different from the sort of books that I actually wanted to read. Right. Um, and I felt like a lot of shame about this, I think, because, um, you know, there was a sense of like, oh, your reading level is, you know, too high for the sort of books you want to read. Um, and also the books you're going to read aren't serious books because they're, you know, genre fiction or, um, you know, they're, they're not, they haven't been like, you know, canonized or uh, they're not considered like highbrow. Um, and I think that's really unfortunate. I think that happens to like a lot of a lot of kids who like reading, um, you know, whether it's like whether they're like precocious readers or just, you know, kids who enjoy reading um, mm-hmm. like, you know, there's a sense of like there's the correct sort of books to be into and the incorrect sort. And um, I think that that, you know, alienates a lot of kids from reading. And I think that's unfortunate. Um, and I, th- I think that happened to me to some extent. Um, there were some classics that I, you know, that I was reading in school or um, reading on my own that I did really end up loving. Um, but I think that that sense of there being like the right books and the wrong books was really unfortunate. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And so from then, you know, at what point in your life then did you kind of start taking writing seriously where it was more than just a hobby, more than something that you just kind of like to do, but uh, it was more of a a dream or a desire that to kind of create, uh, whether they be books or whatever. How you, however, you saw your creative endeavors going. Throughout high school and college, I was writing um, a fair amount of fiction fairly consistently. Um, a lot of it probably doesn't look anything like uh, what I am writing now. Yeah, so I, I was writing pretty consistently. I um, I went to. Um, I think Corinne also mentioned that they went to Sarah Lawrence College. I also went to Sarah Lawrence College. I took some writing classes there. Uh, and then uh, post-college, I actually um, was, I went to get an MFA in fine art, and I was doing uh, some work with drawing and painting um, and working in the arts in New York. Um, and kind of all through that time, I was intermittently still writing um even though I kind of made this choice of like, okay, I'm going to pursue fine art over uh, writing. I, I think just ultimately the writing went out. It was, uh, I think it was, it was sort of a confluence of things like about the time that I made the jump back into writing, um, you know, why I was kind of becoming more of a, of a genre where you could understand like how this person got published and, and, um, you know, Hunger Games had, had just been, you know, the series had completed and, and Twilight had been made into a movie and all that. And I think uh, it just seemed like more of a, a um, blossoming genre rather than something that, you know, had happened when you were younger and that sure. was over. Um, so I think, you know, the, the excitement of that and kind of the rejuvenation of that was part of what compelled me back into writing. 
And were there books in particular that really uh, inspired you uh, as a writer, as a reader, uh, ones that you really kind of remember from that time as as really uh, motivating you as a writer? Yeah. Uh, so at the time, um, you know, I, I mentioned um, Hunger Games. I like that was like probably the first like genre fiction I had read in quite some time. You know, at, at the same time or around that era, I think it must have been like 2009, 2010. Um, you know, I was I was on like Tumblr and all that, and um, I think the the conversation about um, diverse books and, and needing to see more um, or like better represent, representation in um, kids' literature was, uh, you know, reaching a, a point where it was starting to draw actual notice uh, and, you know, people were making compiling lists of like authors of color. So, you know, this was something that I hadn't had any access to as a, as a kid, like reading kids lit. Um, so I kind of got the opportunity to, be exposed to that sort of thing. So I, you know, I read some uh, of Cindy Pond's earlier work. I also read uh, Kate Elliott's, uh, I think it's called the Spirit Walker series, their trilogy. Uh, you know, she has some characters of color that I, I feel like the way she envisioned the world um, was uh, kind of a revelation at the time um, for me. Uh, Melinda Lowe was another author I, I was very excited by. So yeah, I just I just feel like uh, there was a lot going on at that time, um, and it was kind of an exciting time to get back into writing and sort of have the opportunity to imagine writing stories that I, I hadn't, you know, even dreamt of, of seeing as a kid. Sure. And so now we're at the point where you have your first book coming out. Uh, it's called The Girl mm -hmm. King. It comes out on Jan January the 8th. Uh, so mm -hmm. let's start talking about that and give me uh, the kind of the pitch for it. What is this book about? So my elevator pitch that I always give to, uh, you know, non-book people to get them into it is uh, Game of Thrones for teenagers set in fake Imperial China. Okay. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's being um, marketed as an Asian-inspired fantasy, which, uh, you know, I feel like the term Asian-inspired is sort of weird, but like... Mm -hmm. It, it basically conveys the, the thrust of it. Um, you know, I, I was uh, mostly inspired by um, some of the events and, and culture and texture of uh, late, like the late Qing Dynasty in China. It's told from three different points of view. Uh, there's Lu, the titular girl king, or aspirationally the girl king. Um, she is a princess whose goals of, of becoming uh, the first female emperor uh, are thwarted by her father, um, who names her um, ambitious cousin as his successor. Uh, the second point of view is me and her younger sister, who kind of lives in the shadow and has her own uh, issues going on, um, unbeknownst to Lou. Uh, and then the third point of view is Nokai, who um, is a boy from a uh, shape-shifting people who uh, were almost wiped out in a genocide committed by the empire that uh, Lou and me and are part of the royal family of. And so when you went to create this book, uh, being that it's fantasy, how much planning ahead of time did you do? Meaning, like, how much did you have to kind of understand uh, the world, the magic, uh, the fantasy aspects of it before you could really get into the story? Or did, did you sort of let that come to you 
as you were getting into the characters and learning who your characters were? So I tend to, um, when I'm writing, I think I, t- I tend to come at it kind of from two places, sense of like uh, the visuals, like what the space looks like, what the world looks like, what people are wearing, um, you know, the, the sort of um, aesthetic of their their world uh, kind of is there in place. Um, I tend to like write scenes. Um, they play out kind of like a movie in my head. And then uh, the second thing um, that's really crucial when I start out is the character. Uh, I, I just tend to get a sense of the character before I get a sense of um, the plot. Like the plot kind of emerges from the character and, and their needs and, and wants. Yeah. So um, I did do some research in terms of um, world building and setting. Um, you know, I, I knew I wanted the setting to feel pre-modern, you know, prior to a serious like industrial mm-hmm. uh, movement or revolution taking place in the society. Um, so I, I looked at, um, you know, pre-modern China, late, late uh, imperial China, to kind of get a sense of, you know, where technology would be, sort of um, how uh, relationships would be taking place between different nations or um, different empires uh, and sort of like class attitudes, um, the way like nobility would relate to uh, the lower class or, um, you know, whether, you know, there would be an emerging middle class or not. Um, So all of that was sort of things that came later that uh, I, I layered in after doing some some research and, and looking kind of toward history, I feel like a lot of the, the magic system um, emerged more organically, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I feel like um, anyone who's who's into fantasy and is sort of um, uh, creating like an imaginative world, uh, there's like a, a lingo or like a, a pre-existing vocabulary of different magic systems or um, sort of there's there's uh, an intuitive way that we understand magic um, based on this larger phrased language built by uh, fantasy that came before us. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so I feel like you know it's, it's funny um, because I uh, I grew up here and you know my my relationship with my uh, parents. Um, home culture is like pretty limited uh you know i didn't grow up with a lot of korean uh stuff in the house you know like prior to you know the internet we didn't really have access to like korean tv um my korean language skills are very limited so aside of like the very early um you know formative pieces of like the fairy tales and things like that like i i didn't have a lot of connection to um korean or east asian culture and so I think a lot of my uh, sense of fantasy and, and sort of underlying senses, like like ideas about like mysticism that would build into like a magical system in a in a fantasy book, are influenced by um, you know Western fantasy in a mm-hmm. way that is is very like bone deep. So it's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that uh, you know I, I feel like in my book that are influenced by um, an earlier precedent of like Western fantasy. So I, I feel like a lot of the magic built or the magic system, um, you know, some of it came from that intuitive calling of what existed around me. And then I think uh, some of it I had to kind of go back in and see like, okay, what 
where is all of this coming from and how do I kind of make it into this coherent thing that speaks to both aspects of my influences. So uh, with having to kind of work through all of that uh, and kind of figure out the story, figure out the world uh, that you wanted this story to take place in, who the characters were uh, that were going to live in this place, the overall journey of this book, uh, you writing this and uh, getting it to the point where you're sending it out uh, to try to get an agent, what was that process like? Um, so I think I had a fairly uh, conventional uh, journey, like in publishing. Uh, I did a lot of like research beforehand, just in terms of like, okay, how do I, you know, submit my manuscript to the flush pile without like making anyone annoyed? Uh, you know, I, I previously in some of my like day jobs, I had worked in the capacity of being like the first line of defense in the flesh pile. Mm, so like, okay. you know, I, I knew that feeling of like annoyance when someone completely didn't follow any of the rules. Um, so I feel like that is actually a really important step in submitting one's manuscript. Uh, and I feel like I, I tried to do my best in that regard. Um, but outside of that, you know, it was like, had a sense of, of what the story I wanted to tell. And I felt like, um, you know, I, I tried to find agents that, were um, receptive or seemed receptive to that particular story. And how much, you know, through the writing process and through all of this, are you keeping yourself immersed in kind of the fantasy genre? Is that something that you find is helpful for you as a writer or can it maybe cloud what you're trying to write if you get too uh, immersed in kind of other people's worlds? Uh, do you do you worry about that, that or, yeah. or is it informative? That's actually a it's a really good question. I mean, that's like I I feel like probably every writer feels this way. Um, it's it's a constant like um back and forth where I feel like um you know in some regards reading fantasy it's really exciting because you're sort of like oh like what is this person doing um you know like how can I do that or how can I like you know do something that makes me like my reader feel as excited as I feel about this um and then other times I feel like it's it's really difficult because you're like you know you do the comparison thing and then uh you also you know worry like oh I don't want to be influenced by this because I love it so much or um you know there's a there's like the editor voice in your head where you're like oh I wouldn't have done that or like you know like um how do they do that uh and it, it sort of takes you out of it which is you know heartbreaking in a lot of ways because like you know the reason you wanted to write fantasy in the first place is because you love fantasy and sure. it's it, like it's hard to get back into that sort of pure state of just being excited and being like uh, swept away um, that said it, it does happen you know like I feel like there are times when I, I'm able to like let go of the editor voice and it's just fun again um, but, you know, for that reason, I, you know, the editor voice reason, I, I think um, I've actually been reading more contemporaries and, and sci-fi or just anything, even adult literature, like outside my genre, um, mm -hmm. just to relax sometimes. And I feel like that's been kind of fun. I feel like it, it feels more like when I was a kid and I kind of was, was very, um, you know, kids are oblivious to the genre when they when they're very young, and sure. so they read everything, and everything kind of has like equal weight or equal potential in their heads. And so, I feel like um, reading like that now is is really like freeing in a lot of ways. 
And so have you kind of developed sort of a a habit when it comes to a writer? Do you have kind of a, not a method, but do you have sort of your sort of routine or any sort of schedule or discipline you kind of put yourself on uh, when it comes to writing? Um, it's been like a learning process for me because uh, my my novel, uh, The Girl King, is like, that was the first novel I ever finished. You know, there's like, oh, I have a lot of other things I started and not finished. Um, but that was the one thing that I actually like pushed all the way to the end and realized. And so I, I was learning a lot as I was writing it, um, just in terms of, you know, how to write a book and then also like how to be a writer, which, you know, they're two different things. I've made a lot of mistakes along the way, I would say, just in terms of figuring out like how to, to motivate myself and how to keep on track. You know, for me, I think it is important to write every day, but I don't have a day job. So I feel like, um, you know, that that's not possible for everyone. Um, I think, uh, you know, taking, I, I think, you know, a lot of people will say this, I, I think, and it's, I think it's really true. I think they say it because it's true. Um, not being too precious about your writing, just, uh, you know, taking any, any spare time you have to kind of um, dip back into the world. It'll keep the world more present and in the front of your mind. Um, anytime away from it, uh, you know, sometimes it's healthy to take time away. But uh, for me, I find if I'm away from it too long, it just the uh, inertia is hard to overcome. Uh, so, you know, I, I try to stay consistent, at least, to, at least like doing something in that world is helpful, like every day. That's great. Well, a few questions sort of as we wind down now. Uh, the first mm -hmm. one being, what is your favorite movie that's based on a book? Uh, so my favorite movie based on a book, uh, I think it's The Last Unicorn. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. It's probably from like the 70s, the cartoon, I think. I, I don't remember when the book was published. I think it was probably shortly prior to yes. that. The cartoon might be the 80s, actually. I'm not, I'm not positive. Um, but it's a uh, book by Peter Beagle. On the surface, it's the tale of uh, the one remaining unicorn in the world, and she doesn't know why she's the last one. A butterfly tells her she's the last one, and she's like, okay. Um, uh, she goes on a search to try to find the other unicorns, and it turns out the unicorns are being held captive by this evil king who lives in a tower by the sea. And uh, she gets transformed into a human briefly um, and has to, like, deal with the absolute trauma of being mortal, uh, you know, for the duration of the book. Um, and it, it's sort of um, sweetly told, but it, it, it is so cutting in some ways. Uh, he, he just, like, masterfully does this thing where it, it's, the book is sort of funny. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's lighthearted in some ways, and it's it's sort of tongue-in-cheek funny. Um, but it, it uh, gets to the core of, of a lot of, you know, very fair, basic questions about what it means to be, you know, a person. And uh, it leaves you pretty, like, broken by the end. Sure. Um, and I think the, the cartoon it maintains a lot of that. Uh, it has a slightly different feel than the book. I think, um, uh, both of them are really beautiful. And I think it's, you know, it, it's very emotional, but it's, it's also very funny and sweet. Um, and I, I feel like that's a difficult balance to strike and they both do it really nicely. Um, and then, you know, I, I think I 
really didn't want to say this, but uh, I think I would be remiss if I didn't mention, um, you know, I saw the Lord of the Rings movie, uh, the first one, Fellowship of the Ring, uh, when I was a teenager. I think I was probably like 15 at the time, um, and I hadn't read the books, and uh, I think I, I hadn't even read The Hobbit, I think, at that point, and um, I, I was just so moved uh, by that final scene where, where Sam pulls Frodo out of the water, and I, I don't know if it was like the particular mood I was in or the age that I was at, um, but I was just so um, blown away kind of by the, the potential of fantasy and creating worlds and just creating beauty and um, illustrating relationships against very high stakes settings and, and mm-hmm. sort of heightening um, the meanings of friendship and relationships against those high stakes. Uh, and I, I don't know that I would have been so into fantasy or would still be so into fantasy if I hadn't seen that movie at that particular time. That's great. And actually, it's funny. Those two movies, the villain is played by the same person, Christopher Lee. Yes, it's true. Is, is, yes, so he's, a, a, he's a wonderful villain. So that's great. Uh, next question then. Uh, is there a book or is there a series that you're willing to admit you've either never read or never finished? Uh, yes. Um, I mean, there's also a lot of books and series that I'm not willing to admit publicly <laughs> that I haven't finished, but there are a few that I, I can mention publicly, I think, without uh, losing too much faith. Um, the first is uh, Dune. I tried to read mm. Dune several times, and I just, I can't, I can't do it. I don't know if it's, uh, like, if it's, if it's a time period Sure. issue or a particular dissonance between the sort of reader I am and the sort of book it is. But I, I just feel like on on the surface it sounds like something I would really love and I just I can't I can't make it past like page fifteen. Another series I've never finished is the Enders game. Just a whole lot of boys in that book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you know, it's funny. I, I read Ender's Game actually uh, because my uh, high school boyfriend was really into it, and I, I don't want to speak ill of him because he's <laughs> he's a very nice boy who has become a very nice man who teaches uh, young people for a living. But uh, yeah, he um, was wrong about that book, and I That's could not funny. finish that series. That's funny. And then finally, what is the last great book that you've read? Oh, God. Okay, so this is... I'm going to kind of cheat on this. I have, like, a few. Sure. Is that okay? Absolutely. Uh, so I read uh, Damsel by Alana K. Arnold fairly recently, um, and it's a fantasy, but it, it's very uh, kind of um, different from the sort of fantasy I write and, and typically read, and it was just um, so atmospheric and haunting and very spare and to the point in a way that uh, is really like outside my wheelhouse, but I love watching other people do it. It was just a devastating and, and gorgeous book. Uh, oh, Blanca Yeroha uh, by Alana Marie McLemore. Also extremely atmospheric. Um, it, it's magical realism. Uh, it's a family story. Uh, it's, again, um, sort of a fairy tale retelling, although uh, I feel like that doesn't kind of convey the whole of what mm. it is. Uh, really, really gorgeous uh, prose just really um, creates like a beautiful visual and just it has this like 
kind of sultry, uh, summery, uh, dark mood about it that that almost reminds me of I don't know like um, Flannery O'Connor or something. It's it's mm-hmm. really beautiful. Um, I guess actually now that I think about it, both of those have a sort of fairy tale atmosphere mm-hmm. to them. So those were two two books that I uh, really adored recently. Um, and then this is again kind of cheating. I um, reread In Other Lands by um, Sarah Reese Brennan recently. Uh, I think it came out actually last year, like in 2017. Um, and I, I reread it just because I loved it as the first time I read it. And, and you know, I kind of needed something comforting that day. And uh, I find that book like deeply comforting. It's, it's really funny um, and quirky. And it does fantasy in this way that's very tongue-in-cheek, but at the same time is, is totally like goes for it. Um, sure. And I think similarly, uh, it sort of describes adolescence and like the awkwardness of growing up mm. and, and discovering relationships and discovering who you are in a way that's, that's really funny, but also like deeply tender and kind. Uh, so that's another book I love. That's great. Yeah, those are some great books. Well, Mimi, uh, The Girl King, your debut, comes out on January the 8th, and I wish you and the book all the best. Thank you so much. And that does it for another episode of What Book Cooked You. Special thanks to Mimi Yua for joining me. Her book, The Girl King, comes out on January the 8th, so I hope you'll check it out. And I hope we'll check out some of the other great episodes we have for you in 2019. I'm Brock Shelley. And until next time, keep reading.